Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. And I, I do hope that all of you had a, a wonderful and a very fulfilling Thanksgiving. Okay, we are going to talk soccer this morning. Now, clearly, the entire world has been focused on the World Cup tournament and, you know, why the NFL and NBA and NHL and college football continues to chug right along. Right now, it it all seems to be all about the men's national team and whether they can advance to the next round in the World Cup. So I, I got to tell you, I, I have several questions for you this morning. And for starters, how was soccer able to become a growing phenomenon in this country? I mean, that is, it wasn't as though soccer didn't exist here until just recently. Soccer has been played here in the U.S. at the high school and collegiate and professional level for a good long time, for decades. And there have been, of course, some, as I mentioned, some professional leagues. But something happened to soccer over the last 20 or 30 years in this country. Somehow the, the interest in the game has just grown explosively, exponentially. I mean, it's, there's no refuting that. There's just, you just can't get around that. And that's really in total contrast to a sport like, say, like, like baseball, which, well, our national pastime seems to have gone in a totally different direction with young American fans. Now to you, this may not be a big deal, but to someone like myself, who has been involved in sports his entire life, I find this transition to be most remarkable. Is it because we as, as sports parents raised an entire generation or two of young kids whose very first introduction to competitive sports was uh, ASO Soccer, American Youth Soccer Organization? I mean, as ASO, that starts for the youngster when they're in elementary school, even younger than elementary school, often before even other sports like baseball or basketball. Is that, is that the legacy of ASO? Is that the major reason why so many young people today in this country are so attracted to soccer? Or is it because there's been so much media attention paid to the World Cup and the pro leagues around here like, like Major League Soccer? Is it because the women's national team has not just done well, but has dominated the World Cup competition in recent years? Does their success translate into even bigger attendance at soccer games? Now, I ask these questions because, at least when you consider the men's national team, and their, well, their, their less than impressive soccer accomplishments in recent years, 
truth is, soccer has never been more popular in the United States. And this is amazing to me, even despite the, the USSF, the United States Soccer Federation, they've had any number of, of mistakes and false starts and bad policies and so on. And yet, soccer fans, you know, just, just move right ahead. They move on. I want to talk about this this morning because I want to do an overview and get your thoughts as to what happened. Because this may be, in the world of sports, perhaps the most amazing marketing uh, accomplishment we've seen in our lifetimes. You know the number. It's 877-337-6666. Okay, let me give you a little personal background before we get into this a little deeper. Because as I said... You know, I've been involved in sports my entire life. I'm perhaps, I'm sure you're the same way for many of you. But let me take you back a little bit in the times capsule. The year was 19, I think 1977 maybe, 76, 77, sometime a long time ago. I had finished playing uh, minor league baseball, and I was, I was learning how to become a sports writer for Gannett. And like uh, any new person on the job, I was covering local high school sports and and things like that. And, of course, I kept hoping to be assigned to to cover a major sporting event, something at the professional level. But I also knew I had to pay my dues and and to just, quite frankly, to to remain patient. And then one day, Chuck Stogel, who was the sports editor at the uh, Journal News, he told me I was being assigned to cover a soccer match over in Giants Stadium in the Meadowlands. The Meadowlands, of course, is now known as MetLife Stadium. Anyhow, this apparently wasn't going to be just any soccer match. It was a game between the local Cosmos pro team, which had signed some of the game's greatest stars, guys like Pelé and Canaglia, Beckenbauer, and their opponent was going to be Pelé's former team from Brazil, Santos. It was also supposed to be Pelé's last professional game. As it turned out, he played a half both for the Cosmos and then he played for his home team, Santos. So I recall, I think the Cosmos won the game 2-1. to one. But the simple truth was, again, this is in the late 70s, I didn't follow soccer all that much. I had played football, baseball, basketball, ran track and field in high school. In fact, my high school didn't even have a soccer team. There just wasn't enough interest from the students to have one. And so here I was being assigned to cover a a major soccer match. I honestly didn't know what to expect. I didn't even know if anyone would even show up for this game at the Meadowlands. Again, this was all pre-pre-internet, so there was no way to know what was going to happen. So in any event, I drove early over to uh, Giant Stadium, and I was glad I did because it turned out that real soccer followers couldn't wait to see their heroes play in person. That exhibition game between the Cosmos and Santos drew something like 78,000 fans. Giants Stadium was sold out, and that was big news. So I wrote my story from my, my own personal perspective. I felt that I had delivered a, a decent game account, and I was, quite frankly, I was relieved more than anything else because, again, soccer wasn't, uh, wasn't something that I was that familiar with. In any event, I recall talking with my dad later that week, and I told him about the big turnout and how exciting it was and so on and so forth, and I said, maybe, hey, maybe this is it. Soccer has now finally captured the attention of American sports fans. And he listened to me, and he sort of cautioned me about the sold-out Giants stadium. He said, Rick, 
All those fans came out to see the game's biggest stars, Pelé, Beckenbauer, Canalia, and so on. But I have to tell you, once those players leave and go back home to their own individual countries, I'm afraid the attendance for the Cosmos games is going to drop off precipitously. And that's just what happened. My dad spoke from experience. And this may not be well known to sports fans who knew my dad from covering the Knicks and and the Rangers and, and doing baseball. But back in the day, my dad actually served as the president of the New York Skyliners, which was a professional soccer club that was owned by Madison Square Garden in 1966, 1967. The team played at Yankee Stadium in the United Soccer Association, the USA. They drew about maybe 6,000 a game on a good day, and quite frankly, there weren't many of those. The franchise and league, it just really didn't take off. And my dad had played soccer as a kid uh, growing up on Long Island, and he knew the game. And I would always ask him why soccer hadn't caught on in a big way with American sports fans. And he, he felt that the biggest issue was that soccer dis- didn't offer much scoring, which was something that American sports fans really liked and related to. Even worse, he explained that scoring was so difficult in soccer that if your team fell behind by, say, you know, uh, two goals or three goals, it was very, very hard to catch up. He even pointed to, to the ice hockey where a team could be down by a couple of goals at the end of two periods, but could easily rally in the third period because the action was so fast and the scoring took place so quickly. But he said, not so much in soccer. My father pointed out to me if the opposing team was up by two goals at the half, it was going to be really difficult to tie the game in the second half. And this all made sense to me. But my own kids started to play soccer when they were five or six in ASO, and I watched them develop. I could see that some of the problems in trying to score a lot. It, it just didn't happen. And I could see the frustration building in some of the younger players as they advanced uh, into middle school and into perhaps high school. So this is a sport that obviously has had a long, long popularity all over the world. But there have been a lot of false starts here in the States. And it just doesn't seem until now, it seems to be finally sort of catching on and taking off in a huge way. Now, you could disagree with me about that. And I understand that. But I'm telling you from my own personal perspective. So I return to my original question. Is soccer now on a trajectory in this country to become the most popular sport of all American uh, activities? Will it surpass the NFL, college football, the NBA? college basketball, the Major League Baseball, the NHL? And the question is, how do the soccer people make this happen? How were they able to market this sport to the younger generations? And how come the other American sports, most notably baseball, can't figure out a way to do what soccer has done? And I, I want to talk about this and get your thoughts about this as well, because honestly, this is an amazing story. And we'll get into some of the uh, more stories and evidence I have about all this. Uh, the TV ratings for, for the men's team against Wales uh, and against England and what's going on uh, in, and the popularity of, of other professional leagues. There's still a lot to be done with soccer, but there's no question that this is, this is where we are today. Okay, 877-337-6666. Let's talk about this explosive and exponential growth of soccer in this country, how this happened is it just a fluke that it just worked through persistence? What's going on here? How did this happen? 
Okay, let me take a time out. When I return, I'll take your calls. Stay with me. I mean, look, uh, this is this is just really a phenomenon. And yes, as I mentioned in, in my monologue, yeah, of course, soccer's been around for a good long time, and lots and lots of people have played soccer in this country for decades. But it's just sort of like burst upon us all. This in the last with the World Cup and the men's team, it's just like there it is. And Perhaps it was fueled, of course, by the the domination of the the women, the American women, uh, and their World Cup appearances. Uh, that certainly has obviously helped spread the word. But now the men are here uh, with a big match, obviously on Tuesday against Iran. Now consider this: it, soccer is just it, it's just a it's a really amazing sort of, and I use the word phenomenon, because it's been around for a long time. Just the other day, the uh, NYFC uh, FC has announced that they're going to build a, a 25,000-seat stadium right next to City Field when the Mets play. That's, that's significant. Uh, and let me put this in, term, as a, in terms of TV ratings, because that seems to give you a sort of better idea of what's, what we're looking at here. According to the media sources I had seen, uh, 12 million Americans watched USA against Wales. 12 million. And then more than 29 million fans watched England against US, USA on Friday. Okay, now in contrast, put this all in perspective, the World Series this past fall between the Astros and Phillies averaged about 11.8 million viewers. That was the second lowest World Series ratings of all time. Yet it was just about the same as the soccer ratings. The NBA Finals between Golden State and the Celtics, they drew a little more than 12 million fans. The NHL Stanley Cup Finals between the Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning drew 4.6 million on TV. Okay, again, just to put this in perspective, uh, 12 million watched USA-Wales, more than 29 million watched uh, England against USA. All right, now... Does this mean that soccer is going to take over the Super Bowl or football? Not quite yet. Super Bowl, of course, is a little different kind of animal. Super Bowl last year between the Rams and the Bengals uh, attracted more than 100 million viewers. And even the Giants-Cowboys on Thanksgiving drew 42 million. But soccer is clearly on the way up. And the question is, how did this all happen? And it happened so quickly. And I, I want to get your thoughts and comments about this at uh, 877-337-6666. I know um, you guys have lots of thoughts and comments about what you think has been the key in all this. And one thing I just want to throw into the mix before I get to your calls, um, it's not lost upon me that a whole bunch of the members of the, uh, the men's team, the U.S. men's team, are from around the tri-state area. Yeah, yeah, some of them have famous soccer lineage. Some are just some kids who grew up in the local area. Uh, some are great all-around athletes who chose soccer over other sports. I mean, for example, let's start with a goalkeeper. Um, you know, the, uh, the men's uh, t- team goalkeeper is Matt Turner. No, J- Matt is from St. Joe's High School over in North New Jersey. He didn't start playing um, soccer until he was 14. And he did so only because he wanted to do something to stay in shape while pursuing his two main sports, basketball and baseball. I mean, Matt was good enough to have a fine career as a goalie in high school and then over at Fairfield University, and now he's our best goalie in the World Cup. But again, he didn't start out in soccer. He transitioned to it when he was practically in high school. Didn't play soccer until he was 14. You know, it's my, it reminds me, Tim Howard, the, the former 
All-American goalkeeper. He was a star basketball player, also in New Jersey. And from what I understand, his emphasis in high school was more on, on hoops, not soccer. And going way back in time, I seem to recall that Shep Messing, who was an All-American goalkeeper from Long Island, he also didn't start on soccer or focus on soccer until he was relatively late in his high school career. So, you know, maybe this the fact that these guys were all goalkeepers and they could start later than the other guys who ran the field. I just don't know. But there's something about something happened here in terms of how these kids, these athletes transitioned to soccer away from the other traditional American sports of, let's say, basketball or baseball or football. All right, let's, let's take some calls. Let's go to them. Um, Let's start with uh, Rob Freed out of Lake Success because I know Rob is obviously he was a he's a great long distance runner now, but <laughs> back in the day he was a t- pretty good high school goalkeeper as well. Rob, good morning. Good morning, Rick. I am really excited about this, and I'm going to try to I'm formulating all my thoughts and really to answer your question. Yes, I did play. I started playing at ten. They had leagues on Long Island in, in the Hewlett Woodmay area where I grew up. It was Blue Star Leagues, and I was a goalie and. Well, you were talking about goal, goalkeeping because we're a, a country of hand-eye coordination. Right. Goalie, we should have the best goalies in the world, and you can't start later because if you're a basketball player, you can learn this sport, you know, become a goalie, whereas the other positions are really using your legs and very, very different skill. Now, getting to the point of why it's growing, okay, or the growth of it, it's, it's been growing for years, like I said, 20, 30 years, but really it's a, it's a sport that anybody can play. It's a cheap sport. Size doesn't really matter. Football is such a dangerous game. You did a, I remember years ago, I had a woman on, uh, a mom who made a movie about being a soccer mom. And yep. I actually saw that in, in the theaters. I'm going back 10, 15 years and one of my early introductions to you. But I think the sport is growing. Now, you touched on so many things. Um, a lot of Americans don't understand the game. The rules are so simple. I mean, there's really a handful of rules. you really got an offside corner kick mm-hmm. uh, where the goalie can use his hands. It's 90 minutes, constant running time. But when you talked about the Cosmos, uh, you know, I remember those days. And it was a phenomenon. And there was a great documentary called Once in a Lifetime mm-hmm. where the story of the Cosmos, and it was a five-year, basically five-year existence. And like you said, when Paley came in in 75, Warner Brothers bought him, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the explosion. And it was basically a bunch of older guys from all over the world that came in. They were superstars for their different countries, Carlos Alberto, Franz Beckenbauer, all of those guys that came in. But their careers were basically over. But the country latched on. Now, we got a lot of... Um, I guess what we call people from other countries that are, that are living in this country now. I, you talk about how sports and baseball are not really, you go to the field, you don't see that. I could go down that at Bayside, and I, you know, at a field. There's going to be leagues going on right now, games playing all day long. We have, two, we have a caller on this station, and I really hope he calls in, Bill Easted. He is Bill from Massapequa. He was an LIU player, All-American such a humble guy. He coached a high school team to a championship. He's been playing forever. Never talks about his accomplishments. I went to college with Mike Windishman at Adelphi. Mike Windishman became the uh, captain of uh, of the 1990 team. Uh, uh, you know, the World Cup team. The sport has problems in the sense that people don't under they, they say they don't understand it. They say it's boring. They don't want scoring. And I want to tell you something. When I watch English soccer versus German soccer, the beauty of the passing, the different styles, it's 90 minutes, and it's not that hard. And it's not about scoring a goal. 
There's so much <laughs> yeah. acting going on that yeah, but- 99.9% of the people that are watching, they don't understand. Americans want goals. They want to watch professional football, people banging yeah. around. Obviously, there's something to this sport, Rick, because I, the whole Rob- world is watching. It's Look- the number one sport in the world, and I, I believe because of the women's team, which is obviously yeah. the best in the world, yeah. the men's team you know, it's getting really good, Rick. And if they get into the next round here, they could do some damage. They played England. They should have beat England. Now, 1950, last thing I want to make, 1950, we talk about the Soviets, okay? When the 1980 hockey team will go back, people, and look it up. In yeah. 1950, a bunch of ragtag guys that made the World Cup in 1950 beat England one to nothing, and they call that the greatest sports upset in the history of professional sports. You don't want to believe it? Look it up. It's not coming from me. It's coming from the world. Rob, I, I hear you loud and clear, and I will go on and tell you, I believe the the the, 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 um, uh, the story I read about that uh, huge upset back in 1950 when the U.S. beat England, uh, the best team in the world, was that when the original reports went out on, on the newswires, that the score was one nothing. Everybody thought, well, that must be a it must be a mistake, a typo. They meant what they meant was that England had beaten the U.S. ten nothing because there's no way in the world the U.S. could have beaten England one nothing. So it must be a mistake. <laughs> and had you're, they get... you're 100 percent right. I read that story, and and, and there's a, there's a books on that game. Yeah. But this this listen, it's good, <laughs> it, it can grow. It, but you know what? I think it's going to. I don't know. Well. Rob, let me stop you there because I get more callers here. But I tell you, I hear you. Thank you, Rob, as always. The thing is about maybe Rob is correct that that because Americans have this fascination with scoring and scoring a lot that, you know, when you have a game, the the, the way that the the, the British or the Germans or the Italians or Brazilians, when they watch soccer, they're not so much much focused on scoring. They're more about the the beauty beauty of the passing and uh, this and that and, and you know, I just don't know, but that's that's what we're asking. All right, let's go to our next caller. Now, Rob had mentioned uh, Bill Estat from Massapequa. Bill joins us this morning. Bill, good morning. It's a pleasure to have you on the Sports Edge. Good morning. How are you? Bill, so, I mean, you're as Rob just said, you're a modest guy, but you were an All-American at LIU. You've been a great high school coach. What is your sense of why has soccer now suddenly just blossomed uh, as it has in the last, uh, you know, few years, onto our, our national consciousness. Well, to, to be honest with you, soccer has always been popular with me. I grew up uh, down a block from Metropolitan Oval. Actually, I was on a trip to Brazil with a soccer team, and we went. To, and there was some players from that U.S. national team from the fifties, mm-hmm. Walter Barr. Uh, actually, it was a great local player, Johnny Souza, who grew up and played at Metropolitan Oval. Uh, so for me, uh, growing up in Ridgewood, man, er- everyone played soccer. So it's not like all of a sudden like it- it's becoming popular. I always- I've heard my whole life, now I've been playing, I'm 67 years old, so I've been involved in the sports for 60 years. Mm-hmm. And I've been hearing ever since I started playing at the age of uh, seven, that, you know, in 10 years, soccer's going to catch on, soccer's right. going to catch on. I, <laughs> I've lived through uh, the New York Cosmos, which was phenomenal. Going to a Cosmo game was like going to a show on Broadway. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. And as a soccer person, I don't think, I don't need goals, man. I mean, the game against uh, you know, England the other day was so exciting. Every game is exciting. And, of course, when you see Brazilians play, it's a, diff- a different level. But I think the biggest problem 
uh, with soccer in this country. And if you look at the sports that are popular, I, I think gambling has a lot to do with it, man. I really do. I've always huh. felt that, that the American gambler, like look at the sports that are popular, man, and, and why are they so popular? And, you know, and I want you to take a look at I'm sure you're watching it, but anyone else is just like, look at the fans in the stands. Look at the players when they sing the national anthem, how much pride there is. I mean, how could you not appreciate that? But, and, and there's no alcohol, which is also phenomenal. That there's no alcohol in the stadium, something maybe we should take a look at in our country. But as a soccer person, I always felt it was the gambling aspect of no, uh, but what, soccer. Why, why do you say that? Because the, 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 I, I don't think the American gambler understands the game enough to put money oh, on I it. Oh, I see. I see. That's an interesting yeah. thought. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think in Europe, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I've been all over the world with soccer, sure. and, and uh, including Brazil, uh, you know, and, and met Pelé there, which was also awesome. But I think when you look at soccer today, the biggest difference, which I love, which I love is that years ago it was, and you know, it, it's a pretty inexpensive sport to play. Yes. But yes. there was so many, I mean, like I grew up in, in Queens. Yeah, I coach on Long Island. I've done one of my, most of my work on Long Island on two colleges and, you know, many clubs. But uh, we didn't see the inner city athlete, man, playing. And now when you look at our national team, you, you, there's a, just a mixture. But if you look at the 1990 team, if you look at some of the teams from the past, they're basically kids that came from areas with a lot of money uh, and that was seen by, you know, the coaches that had to see them. Yep. You know, I teach. I'm a former teacher. I retired, but I still work like two days a week uh, in uh, Far Rockaway. And, and let me tell you, Rick, you've got to see – those kids in Far Rockaway play soccer, man. Well, you know, but they're not being seen on a national level. You yeah, know well, what I mean? Of course, but you mentioned a very good point, and that is something that uh, I think we all sort of take for granted, that unlike the way American sports are played today with, uh, let's say, uh, ice hockey. Well, ice hockey is a very expensive sport uh, because, obviously, the, the equipment's expensive, the ice time's expensive, baseball, the equipment, the same thing. But soccer, one of the great beauties of the sport, as you just mentioned, Bill, is the fact that you just need a soccer ball, and if you have a pair of sneakers and some shin guards, you're, you're good to go. And that's part of the attraction, uh, as you said, not just um, around here, but over the country. Um, yeah. it, it, is, it is a fascinating how, I mean, like you mentioned, the Cosmos were a big deal back in the 70s, but the Cosmos faded away. It wasn't the right time for soccer to have become what it is today. You know what? You know what is another thing with, with soccer is I was, I was playing college soccer at that time, and I wanted to be a pro, and I, I went, actually I went down to uh, Fort Lauderdale Strikers, Yep. But what happened was the other owners got greedy. You know, uh, the Cosmos were unique because they had a world-class team. I mean, right. they had, a, they had a, a brilliant player at every position. So what was happening was the other clubs were bringing in guys like 35 years old. And then you have, like, Americans like myself who play. And this is still a problem today, in my opinion, is most of the players on our national team are playing in different countries. There's only, like... Yeah, there's only one or two. Uh, I th you know, there's a couple that play like in uh, our major soccer league. But, you know, I believe there should be a cap. I think like, you know, kids like, you know, especially kids that I've coached, you know, throughout the years. And there's plenty of good American soccer players. And I think like I think the New York Football Soccer Club is doing a great thing. They're building a stadium of only 28,000 people. But I'd like to see more American kids you know, play at the college level. There's a lot of uh, 
recruiting of foreign students. Well, and, and the same thing with the MLS, man. Yeah. I mean, like, we need our American soccer players who start, like, you know, I'm going to a soccer tournament in a couple of hours with my daughter uh, that start at a young age. And, and you say it's not expensive now. It's not expensive for the equipment, but soccer today. Well, it, like everything else, you should go up to the club level. It gets a little pricey with the showcases. Right, and, and now you have all of these so-called yeah. academies and yes. stuff. Well, so it's, it's, it can get expensive, trust me. <laughs> Bill, uh, just a pleasure to talk to you. We're talking with Bill Ustad. i, I got to take a break. Thank you so much for, for chiming you. in this morning. I appreciate your time, and, and yes, thanks for chiming in. Thanks, Bill. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the explosive growth of soccer, and we're hearing from people who have played the sport, and obviously Bill Ustad has, was an All-American at LIU you know, back in the day and uh, very successful as a coach himself. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what is some coming about here. All right, let me, let me take a time out. 877-337-6666. couple of quick notes. One is from the Sports Edge police blotter. From the world of NCAA ice hockey, player on the Ohio State University men's ice hockey team was repeatedly using racial slurs in a game uh, recently against Michigan State, a Michigan State player named Jagger Joshua, who happens to be black. Now, apparently, uh, this just didn't happen just once. The name-calling occurred several times during the game between Ohio State and Michigan State, where finally one of the refs picked up on it and gave the Ohio State player, uh, Camille Salaja, that's his name, gave him a game misconduct and threw him out of, the, out of the game. Now, of course, the ref did the right thing. And then, in turn, Ohio State kicked the kid off the team, sent him home. Apologies were made from Ohio State directly to the Michigan State player. But for some bizarre reason... Took the Big Ten. It took them a long time to make a statement about what, what happened in this incident, and when they finally did, they didn't really recommend any further disciplinary action. They felt that Ohio State had done the, enough in terms of punishment to this kid, and also that they were going to have this kid. Uh, or actually, I should say that Mich- that um, Ohio State was going to institute courses for the rest of the team regarding race relations during the rest of the semester. The question is, how can this thing even happen? These days in a college ice hockey game, the, uh, the offending player, Camille uh, Sadlaja, who was born in Poland but grew up in Illinois, is a senior at Ohio State. I mean, how insensitive could this kid be? It just is beyond my comprehension. Okay, and very quickly, I want to remind you about uh, a very important celebratory note regarding Neil Judge, uh, the longtime and uh, just absolutely beloved athletic director at Mercy College. Neil had hired me to serve as the head baseball coach back in the 1970s when I was in my 20s. And what a joy it is uh, to have known this wonderful man. And now Mercy College is going to officially celebrate Neil and his legacy on Friday, December 2nd at 3 p.m. on the Dobbs Ferry campus. The Student Athlete Center will be named in honor of Neil. As you heard me say last week on the show, Neil is just uh, beloved and respected by, by everyone for all of his 34 years as the AD of Mercy Sports. He retired back in 2005, but on Friday, December 2nd at 3 p.m., there's going to be an unveiling of Neil Judge Student Athlete Center. Uh, if you can, get over to Mercy College and Dobbs Ferry for the festivities. Okay, let's get back to trying to figure out how soccer, who's been around for a long time in this country, suddenly just went just grew to humongous popularity. The TV ratings are, are, are very, very impressive. How does this happen? Simple as that. Let's, let's go back to our callers. Let's go to uh, Jack Smithland over in Jersey. Jack, good morning. Now, I know that people know you these days as a softball coach for many years, but you also coached soccer for a long time as well, correct? Yes, I did. I coached soccer for over 30 years. 
In fact, you know, get, get, get into the reasons, and then I'd have a really quick story to tell you that I think will be very interesting. Go ahead. Especially to your last caller and Rob. But yep. um, listen, right now in the youth sports, you know, years ago, I mean, for years and years, you know, you drive down the street and you'd see kids dribbling basketballs. Now they're dribbling soccer balls. Correct. And, and Correct. at the youth program now with all the concussions and injuries in football, a lot of the smart parents are understanding that, one, um, soccer is a great activity, a lot of movement, a lot of exercise. Um, like we say, the game continues. There's no stoppage in play usually at, 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 at the higher levels. And, and a lot of the youth programs today are not allowing kids to head the ball because, you know, the slightest little jolt of the head is, is, is a concussion, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And they all add up. They all add up. So youth... You know, youth is booming around here, booming. I mean, you know, years ago there were a few clubs here and there. There was a couple of academies. and But you know what? It, it became popular. Now, like baseball, I mean, there's not as many as baseball and softball and basketball clubs, but they're out there, and the academies are out there. Um, the girls, like you said before, you know, you, you hit it right on the head. The women's program, our national women's program, has generated a lot of interest. I mean, listen, girls soccer is as popular as boys soccer is today mm-hmm. you know and you know i mean that that says a lot but my first coaching job okay was in the early 70s uh, i i took a coaching job i was still in college actually at pope pius high school in Passaic, which no longer exists not a lot of english-speaking players i thought i was in over my head um, I think I got paid about $400 for the season, and I was also the bus driver. You know, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a great opportunity for me. But one of the players on that team, who I am still friendly with, was a kid named Nick Sakevich. Now, if you look up Nick Sakevich, okay, you're going to find out that he's a big soccer person. He was the CEO and president of the Metro Stars. Nick actually designed the soccer stadium, the Red Bull Stadium in Harrison. Right. I remember the day he did. He invited me to lunch. He opened up a door to a, to a conference room, and on the table was this huge stadium, um, model of the stadium. He says, I'm going to have this built in Harrison. He was the one who generated that and started that whole thing. Nick is now, I believe, he moved all the way up to the head offices in, uh, in Major League Soccer League. And he's now the president of the New World Lacrosse League. And Nick was one of my players. And Nick and I became very good friends. We used to go, his parents were season ticket holders to the Cosmos. Um, One of my best friends who played at American played against Pele. So I'm going to tell you what Nick did was when women's soccer started getting big, he was the one who initiated the double headers on TV with the men's game and then a woman's game following it or vice versa. Sure. And every time he had a game at Giants Stadium, you know, I mean, I remember one, I was coaching at Pope Pius High School soccer, had a great team up there. We, I think, finished our season like uh, 19 and 2 that year. He brought us into to Giants Stadium. We all got, all the girls got to meet Mia Ham, meet Mia Ham. Uh, and so, some of the pro uh, men's teams. So, I mean, it's a booming sport. 
and it's getting better and better. And the more we can qualify for World Cups and, and, and move in the Olympics, you know, from, you know, move up to the, to the medal rounds in the Olympics, this is going to be a very popular sport. We're a country that allows immigrants, okay? And that is a plus for the United States. Well, <laughs> because immigrants are the backbone. Okay, I, I, yeah. they also bring soccer with them. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Jack, I, I hear you loud and clear on that one. I mean, the fact of the matter is, and we don't want to get too political about this, but the fact is, the, you know, the United States, America, was founded by by immigrants, you know, 200 plus uh, years ago. Simple as that. And in many cases, you said a lot of these uh, immigrants to the States have brought the game of soccer with them, and now it's it's blossomed. Uh, hey, Jack, thank, thank you for that great story. I appreciate it. Maybe take some other calls here before I run out of time, but thanks again uh, to Jack Smithland. In fact, I, I want to, one of the things that sort of struck me which to me represents the fact that soccer has really arrived in a big way, was I was watching the match the other day, and there's a TV commercial for Doritos featuring Peyton Manning, who, of course, is a superstar Hall of Famer in the NFL, and David Beckham from the world of soccer, and they're having this ongoing debate about whether the sport is called soccer or football. The fact that Doritos got two major stars from the NFL and from the world of soccer, I think is significant because they're saying the commercial world of advertising is saying we now believe the time has come to get behind people like, you know, soccer stars like David Beckham to say you're at the same level perhaps as a Peyton Manning. That's interesting. And I also want to take a moment here. I'm going to bring in my, my colleague, Ed Arzuman, who obviously uh, most of you who call the show know who Ed is, the Zoo Man. He's, he is a very sharp, very astute guy when it comes to sports. And I want to bring him in because he has, he's obviously a lot younger than I am, and he knows soccer. And I want to get his perspective on what he thinks and how soccer has grown and what are the reasons why. Ed, give me, give me your thoughts on what's going on here. Uh, well, Rick, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I love working with you, as I always like to say, and uh, the callers definitely do know me and probably recognize the voice, but I'm just going to get right into it. Yeah. I mean, you, you alluded to it. I'm a little younger than you. I'm I'm 26. I'll be 27 in a couple weeks, but it, to, to show perspective from my age, the U.S. never missed a World Cup in my lifetime until 2018. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people in my generation that didn't even know that we weren't good at soccer at one point or we were, you know, not qualifying for World Cups. Um, So that helps a lot. There's also a lot of, at least where I'm from in Queens, there were a lot of kids that were playing soccer at a young age. It's like a lot of people have said, it's very affordable, but more so it's something that parents have put their kids in over the last 20 years or so at a higher rate because it gets them out there, it gets them running from a young age, it keeps them in shape at a very young age, it makes them not only feel active, but be active. And sometimes, you know, kids continue to play and continue to get good, and sometimes they don't. But the thing is, is that when you play a sport, for the most part, I mean, some people just hate sports. You know, they play sports and they grow up and they hate sports. And that is what it is. Right. But when you play a sport... You grow a respect for it, and you grow an understanding of how that game works, and you you kind of you know pay attention to it a little bit. And with my generation, a lot more people have linked on to the international players, whether that be the availability of the matches through TV, whether that just be you know the fact that we have superstars right now, like or over the last fifteen years, like Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi or 
you know, Ronaldinho before those guys, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, but there the, has been a complete resurgence in the professional game here that's leading to a big-time, big-time interest from younger people. And now that the younger people that they affect are having kids, I think this is only going to continue to grow more well, and more. Zoo, let me ask you this, because as you've heard in the, in the hour, there have been these other surges over the years, like back in the 70s with the Cosmos. That was a big deal. They sold out the Giants Stadium. I mean, that was for real. And there have been other professional leagues, but a lot of them have been like uh, a lot of false starts. And, and mm-hmm. they just haven't seemed to have taken place, taken off. Um, we know that at the collegiate level, for the most part, uh, soccer has been a non-revenue sport. People just haven't gone to the games in big numbers. So what is it now? Is it because of the fact that the kids... Like you say, you grew up in Queens where everybody's playing soccer. Uh, is it because of the TV exposure? Um, were kids today, are they, certainly they're aware of superstars, international stars like Ronaldo and Messi, but are now we're going to see a whole wave of, of American young kids saying, oh, I'm going to be the next uh, uh, you know, Matt Turner or the next Reina or the next uh, Weah. I mean, is that what's going to happen next? Is that, is that what's going on here? I mean, I think that's where we're going to get. Now, that's that's something that's more going to happen when we host the World Cup in 2026, I think. Because uh-huh. I think that has the ability with... This This is a very young team right now. There's a lot of 19, 20, 22, yeah, 23 year olds. <laughs> yeah, so when we get to that World Cup, that's going to be the one where they can really make a statement. And I think just because it's going to be in the U.S., you're going to see damn near Super Bowl numbers for some of those games. Wow. You know, because it's going to be at that level. It's going to be that interesting, I think, and you're going to have you're going to have the people that for some reason have a passionate hatred of soccer, you know, and uh, which I don't really understand at all, but they will go out of their way to just like say anything negative about it or not even negative, just pure dislike and disdain. Well- and you're always going to have that. But yeah, there's there's more of there's those people are kind of uh, not necessarily being in the majority anymore. Well, that's and what the I'm majority saying. is completely changed, so and it's just, only going to continue to do so. So, with from the your amount, perspective, with, let me interrupt you because I know we're watching ahead. the clock here. So, from your perspective as a guy in his mid twenties, mm-hmm. uh, you do see, you know, when we host the World Cup in a few years, that this is just going to wave is going to continue. Do you, and you really do think. Uh, maybe I shouldn't put words in your mouth, but you have a sense that uh, soccer will sort of catapult itself over baseball, over NHL in terms of, of fan interest and the ratings and that kind of thing. Is that uh, your sense? I've been saying for five years maybe to like my friends and people that I know that soccer is going to be the number three sport in this country by the end of the 2020s. And I don't even think it's very much up for debate because when you look at the way that we're developing right now it's not like it was in 19 you know 70 whatever when you're watching Pele with the Cosmos or Rodney Marsh come and play with the Tampa Bay Rowdies Rodney Marsh uh, there you go (laughs) hey shout out to Rodney but um (laughs) it's not like those days because now we actually have American players who are going out there with the national team as well as going in Europe with teams like Dortmund Chelsea AC Milan Barcelona you know, they're at clubs that are competing for things. It's not just, oh, here's a Brazilian superstar. Here's an English superstar. Oh, and the U.S. doesn't make the the World Cup for 40 years. You know, we're making it every year. We're having guys show that they're coming from where kids here are from. 
And I think that in conjunction with a World Cup that's going to be hosted in this country in less than four years, I think those things add up to to well, baseball and hockey taking a backseat to soccer by the time we get to 2030. I, I, I hear you loud and clear in this, Ed, and, and I, I um, you know, the question to me has always been, well, how did, it wasn't like there was this giant uh, whiz-bang marketing machine with soccer. It just sort of, it, it's just been sort of growing sort of like slowly and slowly, and as you said, now that we have American stars, uh, no longer imports from overseas, but we have American homegrown stars, it's, it's changing the, the, uh, the attraction to the younger generation who obviously love to see Americans uh, you know, go out there and compete and compete well against the, the other foreign countries where they have a long history of success in the World Cup. Um, yeah, and unless Major League Baseball or NHL can figure out how to sort of figure out how to, to try to make their game attractive to the younger generation, I think you're correct. I think we're going to see soccer really become uh, right up there with uh, the, with NFL and the NBA. They just It just seems that their time has finally arrived. Yeah. I, but, no, absolutely, Rick. And I'm sorry to uh, to cut you off there. But <laughs> no, I really am. Uh, I, I, I thought you were finished. I, I'm sorry. I am then. I go, go. Because uh, we're on a clock here in Marcel, so we know we have to wrap this up. But yeah, uh, Ed, I'm going to come back and revisit this with you down the road because obviously you 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 have said that this is going to happen and we'll see just exactly how this does work out in the next few years when we do have the world cup here so that is ed arzuman obviously all of you call into uh, the sports edge no ed he's great he knows his stuff he's obviously a sharp guy and not surprisingly he's a pretty good sports fan <laughs> okay my thanks to ed and of course to all the other callers and i apologize i couldn't get to all the other people calling in this morning as well uh because unfortunately our, our time is limited but anyhow that's it for me the nfl preview is up next i'll see you next sunday right here on the sports edge Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.